1998, in 1998, Jenny and I bought our first home. We did. We had only been married seven years. We waited seven years, or was it eight years? Seven years, seven years. No, eight years. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so we waited eight years to buy our first home, and we were so excited. We moved in, and we had saved and saved and saved, and we had money for new carpet. Oh, yes. We, put, we painted everything. We put on new wallpaper. We actually even put on a new roof. That was the one thing in the home inspection that it said, you know, you gotta, you're gonna, the roof is at the end of its life expectancy. You have to put on a new roof, and we did that, and we were like, yes, we we're so good. We were so wise. We were being such good stewards. It was awesome. And three weeks into the house, in the middle of the night, and we called the fire department. That's one of the first times I met, really met Dave Johns. He was on the truck that night. Dave is a, is, is a member here at Generations, and he was on the fire department truck that got deployed. And, and, and uh, they, oh, it's the new carpet you put in. That set off your carbon monoxide detector. And they, the gas guy, went, as soon as the gas guy arrived and got out of his truck as he started walking toward the house, at that moment, they scattered, and all of the windows were thrown open. And, and then they were like, well, guess it wasn't the carpet. <laughs> the water heater uh, vent had been, uh, it was all messed up, and it wasn't venting properly, and it was spewing carbon monoxide into our house slowly over the three weeks we had lived there. Jenny and I were fighting like cats and dogs, and we couldn't understand. We thought our marriage was ending and that we shouldn't have bought the house or whatnot. And it was carbon, carbon monoxide can do that. Did you know that? It makes you insane. <laughs> In low doses, carbon monoxide can make you insane, and we were all insane. It was amazing. And so, but that was a $200 repair. See, we had, we, we had thought we had covered everything, and it was $200. Did you know that same water heater Two years later, we went to Virginia to see Jenny's parents. And while we were gone for a whole week, the, the day we left, that water heater decided to go <laughs> all over. It drained. It drained its 40 gallons all over the kitchen floor, which absorbed it like a sponge. And, and then the subflooring underneath it said, I'm thirsty. I've been in this home for 30 years and have not seen water. And we came home and we had to have the floor, the subflooring all the way down to the joists ripped out because it had soaked in for a whole week. And the cool thing is we had insurance, right? But we had to cough up <coughs> $1,000 deductible. <coughs> State Farm wanted $1,000 in order for them to pay for the rest of the stuff. If you own a home, if you own a car, there's both anticipated expenses and then there's unanticipated, right? Anticipated. If you own a car, I have news for you. The oil is going to need to be changed. It's not a, it should not shock you that the oil will need to be changed. If you own a car and you stop, Guess what? The brakes are going to have to be, you're going to need new rotor. I mean, it's going to happen. And then in the realm of car land, right, there's the unexpected things. Those things you can kind of anticipate. But then you're going and you're going and your car's going. And you're like, and the transmit, and you take it in and they're, yeah, that's your transmission. And you weep softly. <laughs> 
It's usually it's the kiss of death. That's unanticipated. So both there's anticipated and unanticipated expenses, right? Grandma, do you remember grandma talking about a rainy day ever? Did you have grandmas and grandpas who would talk about a rainy day? Grandma was right. It's going to rain. Most Americans know they should save money, but they don't right? Most, we all come, oh yes, we should save money. We should save honey. We should save some money. But then they don't save any money. And it's the weirdest thing. Dave Ramsey tells, about, uh, uh, tells a story, and he loves to tell this story. An acquaintance of his in Nashville is a songwriter. And the guy for years made $700 a month songwriting. $700 a month. Only one year, one of the songs he wrote went and it, it was on the top 10 charts. And the next month, instead of $700, do you know how much he got? $50,000. $50,000. His income monthly, mind you, monthly income went from $700 to $50,000. And that first month, he and his wife were like, we won the lottery. And they went out to the car dealership and they got a car and then they drove to the boat dealer because if you live in Kentucky or Tennessee and you have money, you have to have a boat. It's like a law somewhere in the state legislatures. And so he got a boat and then they realized that the sports car that they had bought was not going to tow the boat. And then they had to get one of those like Escalades to pull the boat. And so they got the Escalade and it was just awesome. And that $50,000 a month kept up for the first month and the second month and the third month and the fourth month. And then in the fifth month, the song was no longer in the top 10. And his income dropped back down to, guess what? $700. Only now he was making payments because he didn't pay cash for these things. He paid, put a little bit down and he borrowed. And so two months later, guess what? He went bankrupt. He went bankrupt, okay? We, we all know we should save, but nobody does this thing. It's the weirdest thing. According to the Department of Commerce in America, Americans save 2.2% of their income. Ah, in Japan, it's 27.9%. In Japan, okay? According to a USA Today poll, get this, 18% of baby boomers, these are people born after 1945 and I think before 1965, okay? 18% of baby boomers say, I'll never see a dime of Social Security. One out of five, but they're not saving, okay? It's the weirdest thing. In, in the year 2005, out of 100 workers who retired, here's how it shaked out. Out of 100 workers, out of 100 workers, one was independently wealthy. In other words, they had over, one, over $5 million in, in cash liquid assets, okay? One was wealthy. Four were independent. They had between one and five million. They could work, not work. They could travel. They could do whatever they want. 41 out of the 100 had to work, and 54 were dead broke, dead broke, half, half were dead broke. Here's the thing, unless a train hits you, you're going to get old. If you have a car, it's going to break down. If you have a house, it's going to need repairs. Grandma was right, it's going to rain. And so, 
I believe there's a biblical principle for saving, and I want to unpack that for you today, okay? And, and in the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 41, which is part of the story, Ark of Joseph, I believe we find a spiritual principle, and I want to cover that with you today. And uh, it's Genesis 41, and we're going to start in verse 37. Uh, Pharaoh has a dream. And, and the dream that Pharaoh has, the first dream is that there are, uh, what, seven cows? Seven fat cows followed by seven lean cows. And the fat cows go away. Then the second dream is there's like grain or something like that. And seven abundant ones and then seven shriveled up ones that eat the good ones. And he's like, oh, what does this mean? And so he calls for Joseph out of prison. And Joseph tells him that the dreams mean the same thing. You're going to have seven years of prosperity followed by seven years of famine. And the seven years of famine are going to be so bad that everybody forgets what it was like in the good old days. Everybody, it's going to be so bad, you won't even remember the bumper crops. It's going to be that bad, okay? So here's, here's the kicker, verse 37. Uh, or actually verse 33, sorry, verse 33. Therefore, and this is what Joseph is telling Pharaoh, therefore, Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land of Egypt. An intelligent and wise man. There's a good idea, okay? Then Pharaoh should appoint supervisors over the land and let them collect one-fifth of all the crops during the seven good years, okay? So during the time of prosperity, send people out, and basically tax them at a rate of 20% of everything that they make and produce and take that and set it aside. That's the next verse. Have them gather all the food, verse 35, produced in the good years that are just ahead and bring it to Pharaoh's storehouses. Store it away and guard it so there will be enough food in the cities. That way there will be enough to eat when the seven years of famine come to the land of Egypt. Otherwise, this famine will destroy the land. It's pretty straightforward right there, okay? But here's the kicker, and it's verses 53 and following. At last, this is sometime later, the seven years of bumper crops throughout the land of Egypt came to an end. Then the seven years of famine began, just as Joseph had predicted. The famine also struck all the surrounding countries, but throughout Egypt, there was plenty of food. Eventually, however, the famine spread throughout the land of Egypt as well. And when the people cried out to Pharaoh for food, he told them, go to Joseph and do whatever he tells you. So a severe famine everywhere, Joseph opened up the storehouses and distributed grains to the Egyptians, for the famine was severe throughout the land of Egypt. And people came from all around to buy grain because the famine was severe throughout the whole world. Okay, at last, the bumper crops come to an end and the seven years of famine strike, and it affects the surrounding countries. Some of you are going, man, that is like prophetic, right? It's not just Egypt, man, that's like us today. That's like the global economy. That's like the financial meltdown. That's like Greece and Italy. Oh, yes, the Bible is sometimes prophetic. It, I'm not sure it meant that in this particular case, but there's a spiritual principle here. And the spiritual principle is simply this. Grandma was right. It's wise to save for a rainy day. It's wise to save. It's wise to set aside money. 
My grandma grew up in the Great Depression. The Great Depression in America followed on the heels of the Roaring Twenties. The Roaring Twenties was a time of great expansion. Have you ever uh, heard the story of the Dust Bowl in history? You familiar with the Dust Bowl? Little known fact about how the Dust Bowl happened, all this land, all this grassland, fertile grassland, was basically unclaimed in the panhandle of Texas, Oklahoma, uh, western, what is it, Nebraska, eastern Colorado. There was this huge section of it. And the government said, you know what? If you'll just go lay a claim, stake a claim, you can have it. It's yours. And all across America, people, in, and this is in the 20s, late 20s, they rush out there, have these farms, and they start producing more grain than the United States has ever seen. I mean, the bumper crops were so huge, and they thought that they had hit basically a slice of heaven and that it would go on forever. But then the rain stopped. I think it was 1932, 34, 35, somewhere in there, the rain stopped. And they all thought, oh, oh, next year, next year it's going to get better. And then they thought, Next year, it's going to get better. And meanwhile, the winds whipped up, and it blew off the topsoil from everything and just created these black clouds that enveloped cities. You ought to go online and just look at some of the photographs. I mean, at one point, what was it, in the spring of 1935, people living in that part of the United States actually thought the end of the world had come. The, the dust storm was so big and so dark parents pulled their kids into the room and they were expecting the world to literally end. It was that bad, okay? Um, If you had talked to any of those farmers in the late 20s and asked them and told, if you had just pulled them aside and said, in five years, you're not gonna believe it. It's gonna be so bad. People are just gonna be packing up whatever they can take and fleeing. They would have laughed at you in the face of such abundance, And so my grandma, that was part of her growing up experience. She grew up in in Indiana, or in, in, yeah, in Indiana. She didn't have anything, but they heard the reports. I mean, they, they, you know, it was filtered through mom and dad. And so in her mind, of course, I would have money set aside for a rainy day because it's going to rain. Things are going to get bad because people who grew up in the 20s and 30s experienced it firsthand. In Proverbs chapter uh, 21, what we see in Genesis is actually articulated for us. And, and this is what it says. Proverbs 21, verse 20. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. The wise have wealth and luxury, but fools spend whatever they get. In other words, if you're spending 100% of what's coming in, according to the Bible, not good right? According to the Bible, not good, okay? If 100% coming in is is going out in expenditures, why? Why is this a problem? Because it's going to rain. Things are going to break down. You you might get laid off or fired, or worse, there could be a stock correction, and you could see half of your retirement evaporate, Uh, not to mention flood or the unexpected diagnosis or any of those kind of things. You're like, gee, Max, thank you very much. I'm so glad I came to church today to remind me I'm going to die and get sick and my things are going to break. Thank you. Okay, well, wait a minute. Wait a minute. What, how would you... Uh, let me ask you a question. The last time something broke down, 
in your life, whether it was your house or your car, what did you do? If you were laid off or your supervisor came in and told you, we're cutting your hours, what did you do the last time that happened? The last time the fridge went out? Or the last time you got sick and you couldn't get the number of hours in you needed to get that week because you're, you're paid hourly? What did you do? If you don't have any savings, do you know what you did? Ah! <laughs> you worried, you panicked, and then all of a sudden you, pro- you might have even prayed. You, God, help, help, help. The sky is falling. I got sick. I need, to, I need $200. I need this. I need that, okay? If you have savings, think of how you would sleep better at night. Like, I, I, here's, here's the thing. Here's the thing. Uh, when, when Jenny and I, when our emergency fund is there and it's there right now, uh, I just had to replace a fridge that I was not planning on having to replace. I was so frustrated. Oh, I didn't want to have to, because the fridge is not even 10, 15 years old. It should last longer than that. Arr! But I went to Lowe's and I wrote out a check. It was there. I didn't have that tight feeling in my chest of, uh, 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 what are we going to do? I mean, isn't it, don't, I mean, I'm talking about reality. When you have a buffer, when you have some savings, you can weather the things that life throws your way so much easier. And this is why it's important to save money. Here's, here's a statistic that's not good, but it's something you can plan for. 75% of families will have a major negative event in the next 10 years. Okay? So that means three out of four of us in the gym today, three out of four of us over the next decade are going to have something like your doctor tell you you're diagnosed with something bad, you're going to get fired or laid off. I mean, major, major event. 75% of us. But see, you could have what Dave Ramsey calls Murphy repellent if you actually had money set aside. Let's take that statistic for a minute and let me ask a question, all right? Uh, I love to kayak. I love to kayak. I love to be out on the water. I do not like fast-moving rapid water. Fast-moving rapid water to me is death, okay? But let's say all of us were going to get on some boats and we were going to go on an adventure on the Okoe River, all right? And we were all excited about it and we're getting in our boats. And before we get in, the guys say this. They say, I just need to make you aware of the fact that on this trip, we have found over the years that three out of four people literally fall out of the boat. Facing that, how many of you would get the helmet and life vest? How many of you, in being told that, being able to get on the boat, how many, I want to know, how many of you would go for the helmet and life vest? All of you, this is good, because not putting on the life vest and the helmet is death. Okay, the rocks, kapunk, and then it sucks you under and you go to be with Jesus. Okay, hopefully, hopefully, <laughs> right? Um, so if that's the case, if you would put on a helmet and don a life vest, then right, wouldn't you want to set some money aside for when things come your way that are unexpected so that you're ready, so that you're prepared? So here's my homework assignment. Start saving. I know you're looking at me like, what? Okay, so for those of you that are older, here's baby step number one. Baby step number one is to have $1,000 in an emergency fund. If you don't have $1,000 in an emergency fund, let me just ask you, what are some ways that you could generate cash quickly? You guys are great with ideas. Yard sale. Yard sale. Chances are you have stuff 
in your home that other people, the yard sale vultures, would love to descend on and dicker you down, but still you could pull in several hundred dollars from a yard sale. What other ideas to generate a quick thousand dollars? Yes. Things you're good at. You fix computers. Sell it out. You sing. Sell it out. You sew. Sell it out. If there, whatever skill sets and things that you have, sell it out. Um, an, another great idea. Other ways you could generate a thousand dollars quickly. A thousand. Don't, don't spend. You could do what the guy in the video did, and you could literally shred your credit cards. When when they come in the mail now, that's where they go. They go in the shredder in the Vanderpool house. It's bad, but it's good. Okay. Um, those are so. There are a lot of different ways that you could quickly generate a thousand dollars, and so. Then what do you do, all right? You've got that $1,000. Uh, you could take tax refunds, right? I know the, the way we work in America is we think of tax refunds as bonus. That's the mindset we all have in America. Oh, my goodness. And so we can't wait for that tax refund to fund because we're going to go on vacation. We're going to see the Wild West, or we're going to go to Hawaii, or we're going to do any number of things, or we're going to the new furniture. It's leather. It's not pleather. It's leather. It's leather. <sighs> okay? don't go down that road. Don't go down that road. Set, what if you actually set aside, after you gave some away, what if you actually set aside most, if not all, of your tax refund? Where would you be? Wouldn't that be a good jump start to savings? Um, several practical ideas. Once you get the $1,000 in the bank, when you have your budget, which is your plan, remember, be a traffic cop, tell your money where to go. Give the second item ought to be pay me, pay me. Pay me means savings. So pay yourself. And you're, if you can't start anywhere, the church started, what, two years ago at 1%. Last year, we started setting aside 2%. Next year, the church is going to set aside 3%. That's money we set aside in a reserve fund. Do you know how many times that reserve fund has come in handy? Stuff breaks. Things happen. And we've had money. And even at one, two. 3%. It grows over time. And you could do automatic payroll deduction where it doesn't even, you don't even see it. It goes right into an account. And you can even keep the account numbers secret from yourself so that you can't take money out unless you go to the bank and plead with them. Honest, I have an account here, I promise. Okay? So uh, $1,000 in an emergency fund and then really make it a plan, make it a goal to start setting money aside. For those of you who are here who are younger, I know you might be thinking, oh, this is great. You're talking to the grown-ups. What if I told you there was something that you could do that could generate and make you a millionaire? Would you be interested? And it wouldn't take a lot of money. I mean, it, it's money that you could make with summer jobs only. And you could, by the time you were 70, you could be a millionaire. Would you be interested? I want, to show, I, I, want to, uh, I want to show you the classic story of Ben and Arthur, and I want to show you some slides. So um, could I get those up there so folks could take a gander, right? Ben and Arthur, and here's, here's Dave Ramsey loves to tell, use the illustration of Ben and Arthur, and then I want to talk to you about what a single, single investment of $1,000 could do, okay? So here's Ben and Arthur. This is the one that Dave Ramsey tells in Financial Peace University. Let's go to the first chart, Okay. Ben is on the left, Arthur is on the right. Ben, from the ages of 19 to 26, 
Basically, through college and a little bit after college, he gets a summer job, and he socks away $2,000 a year into an investment portfolio, okay? That, and, and he stops. At age 16, or at age 26, he says to himself, this saving for retirement is stupid. I'm not even going to do anything else. I'm, I'm going to spend this money on me. I'm going to Vegas, okay? He stops at age 26. Now let's go to the next one. Arthur, on the other hand, starts at age 26 and puts away $2,000 a year all the way to age 65. He invests 70, what is it, $76,000. And let's go to the next picture here. Ben, when he retires, do you know how much money he's made at a 12% return? $2.2 million. That came out of just $16,000. And when he's age 65, he has $2.2 million. Wouldn't you love to have $2.2 million? And you could have that for just $2,000 a year for what? Six years, seven years, if you start early. Uh, Arthur, on the other hand, never caught up, did he? He worked and worked, and he put money away, put money away, put money away, and he just couldn't get there. So if you're young, if you're here today and you're under the age of 25, see, I'm 43. Compound interest is working against me. But if you're 20, 21 years old, or, or even younger than that, just a little bitty, tiny bit of money. I mean, mowing yards, any kind of summer job. You could literally have $2.2 million dollars. Wouldn't that be awesome? You would be like rich. Okay, let's, let's keep going to the next, uh, go through a couple more slides. I want to show you this next example. There you go. Let's say that you just don't want to, $16,000 is just way too much. This is way too much. Oh, there's no way I could do that. That's just impossible. Just a $1,000 one-time investment at age 25. If you only get a 6% return, it grows to $10,000. If you have a 12% return, which is pretty, uh, you can expect it. I mean, if you look at the past 100 years of diversified stock investments, I mean, you can pretty much take that to the bank. That's $93,000. But if you should get 18%, I mean, those are some Vanguard funds. Those are some Berkshire Hathaway funds. Look at how much that money grows. That's compound interest. If Albert Einstein said this, the greatest force in the universe is compound interest. Albert Einstein, and wasn't he like a genius? Okay, so he recognizes the power of compound interest. So save, 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 save. That's my basic challenge today. That's your homework. Start saving. And if you're young, man, you could be rich when you're older with just a little bit of work and investment now. 